welcome to a, another episode of the Unscripted Playbook Podcast. And uh, today we do have a special guest. Uh, he is the head coach of the men's basketball team at Laurentian University, uh, former Olympian back in 2000, playing for the men's uh, Canadian national basketball team. Uh, today's guest is Sean Swartz. Sean, how you doing, buddy? Good, good. Good intro. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I had a long list. I kept it short. I know you're very humble, so... I did you a favor there, but I don't yeah, know if yeah. I can do that. I got, I don't know if I can do that all all, all, all for the whole podcast. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I still love hearing the Sydney Olympics, so that's good. <laughs> right, right. We'll talk. I definitely want to talk to you a little bit about that because yeah. I mean the Olympics just finished, and and all I hear mm-hmm. is about what an amazing experience that is. So we'll definitely mm-hmm. jump into that. But uh, I'm actually gonna throw you for a loop a little bit. I did some research today. You played Quebec Major Junior Hockey. Close. So I yeah. played. Uh, I played in the Ottawa area, so Tier 2 Junior A in Ottawa area. Okay, and okay. I was due to go to uh, actually Laval in the Quebec okay. Major Junior, and I got in a car accident. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so my no- November of my last year of high school. So it sent me on a different path than uh, than was intended, but it's good. And is that, that's I'm guessing that's the main reason why I chose basketball over, over hockey? Partially. Like yeah. I still, I still, uh, yeah. So I, it happened right over kind of November, Christmas. So I okay. took all that time off and then I, I still went back to hockey after that to finish the season. And, but then there was still interest, but I just kind of, I guess the fire kind of got out of me for hockey, I guess at that point. And I just started to go a little bit more focused on, uh, on basketball. Wow. Well, worked out pretty well for you. Mm-hmm. Five years with, uh, team Canada. It, it says 10 years. Was it longer than 10 years overseas? No, 10 years, yeah. Okay, yeah, 10 years. okay. Mm-hmm. 10 years, uh, six different teams, countries. So what was that experience like playing overseas? It, it, it's, it's, a, it's very conflicting, actually. So it's, it's not as, uh, I guess it's not as easy as everyone thinks it is and how glorious or glamorous everyone thinks it is. But on the same note, it kind of is. Like, you're just, you're just going to play basketball. Uh, if you like traveling, it's amazing. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really think I had a travel bug. And then next thing you know, I'm tr- tr- flying to different countries on a, on a whim to, to play basketball and try and learn a new language and, and meet new people and see a different style of basketball. So it ended up being amazing. Like I, people ask me all the time, what was my favorite place kind of, and it's really hard to, to pinpoint which place I liked the most. There's so many great things out of each one that I stopped in that, I, that I really liked. Right. Right. And how many languages do you speak? Cause you must've been forced I, in a lot of those countries to, <laughs> So actually, when you're in the moment, it's amazing. You can you can <laughs> you can kind of find your way around it. So really, I'm only like fluent in English and French. Okay. And when I was okay. in Italy, I could I could get around Italy a little bit. Um, Finland, I learned like a couple words. My wife actually took a Finnish course, so she spoke pretty well Finnish while we were there. But then nothing afterwards. Um, right. Never really picked up much German, Spanish. There was a little bit of Italian and French in it, so there would be he- words here and there while you're in the moment, but. Uh, I mean, my coach in Switzerland, my first team in Switzerland was like, he was ridiculous. He knew seven languages and would skew them out at a halftime to the different guys in the team that (laughs) that was their first language. So you just sit there and he would, it was amazing to see him kind of go between all these crazy languages. Wow. That is an incredible talent he has. Mm -hmm. I wish I could do that. My wife is Italian. So I, I try to learn a little bit before bed every night and by the morning it's just like I still got like the three phases like uh, that I could speak but that's about it but yeah <laughs> but yeah. wow wow pretty cool well um you know you mentioned some co- your one coach but 
Um, you know, let's talk about some of the coaches. I'm familiar with a couple of them, but, uh, you know, I, I definitely want to talk, uh, focus on Peter Campbell, Jay Triano, Dave Smart. I mean, uh, out of all, all those three, um, maybe talk about one thing that you let you admire about them the most. Yeah. So I think obviously now my, myself being a coach, I, mm -hmm. uh, I tried to take a little bit from, from all the coaches I had, uh, professionally and, you know, even young growing up. And so those those three are definitely three that are that are huge in my development as a player and as a person and and for sure as a coach, right? So Dave was my my club coach and and you know kind of the first one of the first coaches that really brought a lot of passion to the game to me. So he really brought out that competitive spirit in me. Um, I think my family had that as well, but Dave kind of took it to a, to the next level and and really instilled in me that hard work, competitiveness, and and you know what I would even say the the mindset of defensive mentality, right? right? I think that that brought me a long way in my basketball career. So, you know, early on, he definitely set the tone um, to make sure that I had the right things in place fundamentally, you know, whether it be offensively or defensively. But in the bottom line, he always just instilled that hard work ethic. Like, you, mm -hmm. you want to play, work hard. I don't care who you are. You're going to work hard and you're going to do this. And if you're not, then you're going to sit on the bench or you're out of practice and we'll see you tomorrow. Right. And so, you know, that was something that he really instilled in me early on. And then actually I went on to play with for Laurentian, right? So right after David was at Laurentian with Peter Campbell. And and so Peter had that kind of same mentality, I would say. But then he instilled in me a little bit more confident, confidence offensively um, and really to give me a little bit more, uh, I guess, leeway to do what I want. And I know Dave actually did that, too, because he re I remember Dave being very focused on the defensive end and then allowing us to kind of do whatever we wanted offensively. Or at least we thought we were allowed to do whatever we wanted. There <laughs> <laughs> sure. was a sub at the table. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but I think Peter kind of took it to that next level. It was like, you know what, Sean, you got to shoot this shot. You got to shoot that shot. Like, I don't care if you miss, shoot it again. And and so that kind of gave me a little bit. I, I, I grew offensively in my time here at Laurentian while still trying to build off the defensive intensity and, and competitive spirit that, that David kind of bring into me. And that, and that was invaluable. I kind of like, those two things kind of helped propel me to the national team and to Europe. Cause if I didn't have those two things in that kind of order, there's no way I would have made it. I was kind of a late bloomer. Like you said, like hockey was my primary sport until right. I got to university. So I didn't work on my skills, not, not even close to what I do now with, with my players, but I didn't work on my skills at the time. Like even with Dave growing up, we, we played one-on-one -on -one like crazy, or we played two on two or we played three on three. Like, and we got after it skill wise, like you can't shoot. All right, well, I'm going to try and beat you up inside. Like we tried to do that kind of thing, not just necessarily work on our uh, counter moves and, and our and our fades and all that kind of stuff. So when I got to, to Laurentian, then I got a little bit more freedom offensively, or at least I thought, to kind of do whatever I want, right? Especially in transition. Let's go. Let's get it. And I, I loved it. I loved playing that way. I played uh, I played high school at Woodruff, right? And mm -hmm. and even during that era, there's no there's no shot clock, right? So but I played for two coaches, John Soden and Tom Sparling, who allowed us to go offensively. Like they weren't like, let's hold the ball down and right. settle it down the early offense. I think I would have quit basketball, to be honest. Like, <laughs> like if, it, if that was the case, like I wouldn't have played. Right. Like that was not what I like. I liked the, the fast pace of it. So, it, you know, coming to Laurentian was a huge thing for me to have a coach that just instilled in confidence and was like, you know what? We're giving the ball to you, win the game or push the ball, attack, make the right play. Like it wasn't just I wasn't just a like a high volume scorer. I was just I was a high volume guy with the ball in my hands to make plays, um, and so that really gave me a lot of confidence. And then I think Jay was just like Jay is just such a great person as well that he he helped me because um, I I kind of knew 
that my talent level wasn't as good as everybody else's. <laughs> and I, you know, I was, I was smart enough to realize that, okay, I'm not as athletic as that guy. I can't shoot right. as well. That guy, I can't pass. Him. Hey man, what can I do? Well, I can listen and try and do whatever I'm supposed to do every single time. I cannot make mistakes. And in some atmospheres, some people kind of crumble in that and they get too nervous, but I always just kind of, I listen to the coach. What does the coach want me to do? And so, you know, Jay would say, go do this. All right. I go do that. And, right. and he, he really kind of, uh, I guess instilled a little bit more into me. Like, you know what, you can get somewhere if you're a good person and you work hard. Right. right? Cause he val he valued that. Like if I had to, you know, there's stories of going, like I had to play the four five at the national team and he trusted me to do it. Cause he knew, I knew what to do in the offense at the four five, even mm. though I'm technically, I'm probably technically a one cause I don't shoot very well, but I I'm a two because, <laughs> because I don't like bringing the ball up either. So <laughs> I had to kind of learn all positions. And so he, he was comfortable knowing, you know, Sean knows the place. I'm going to put him in whenever and he's going to be ready to play. And so, you know, I still, I still talk to all three of those coaches a lot right now. And, and there's all those little things that I really still hold close to me. And, you know, that, that yeah, that, that Jay aspect, just like he was going to cut me and didn't. And I, I was like, I was like, all right, and just went and I'm around for the ride. Let's go. And I just, I kind of believed in the fact that I'm happy to be there, which a right. lot of people talk about, right. A lot of people talk about being happy to be there and then build off it, but then they get there and then they're not happy. Right. They're right. not happy that, okay, you're just on the team and you're not playing minutes and oh, I want minutes. I see this guy's terrible. And I never thought that I was just like, man, I'm happy to be here. Like, this is great. Like, let's, let's play hard. Let's, I was just Mr. Positive kind of, and I've kind of always been like that in every sport with that competitive edge in me. But mm -hmm. just that positivity actually was one thing that resonated a lot with Jay with me as well. Just that positivity all the time. Like, man, he was man, compared actually contrasting with Dave and Peter Campbell. Jay's like, man, he doesn't have a bad day. Like he was so positive at every practice enjoyment. Like that was, that was a like really good for me to see that, that you can have that in a coach as well. Right. Right. And you know, like I remember, uh, P Peter Campbell was my, uh, all Canada camp coach. And I'd like, you know, for the week I was kind of picking his brain and stuff. And I was like, who's the, who's the best player ever coach? And without hesitation, he was always like Sean Swartz. Sean Swartz is the best player ever coach. Mm -hmm. He was the hardest worker and most competitive Nice guy. And then um, I, I think it was the summer of 2001, you started scrimmaging with us. Or maybe it was 2000, actually. You started mm -hmm. scrimmaging with us at Carlton. And um, I got to know you quite a bit. Like, you were just a super nice guy. And I remember I was mm -hmm. talking to Dave. I'm like, man, Sean's just such a nice guy. Like, you know, and he's just like, yeah, he's, he's pretty nice until he loses a couple games and he's going to rip <laughs> your head off. And uh, I was like, what? Like, whatever. And, and you had been like, yeah, a few days where you're racking off wins in a row. And I was always trying to play against you because I, I I want to you know play against the mm -hmm. best players possible and uh, we pulled off a couple of wins and I remember just went to the hole and you you literally almost took my head off I was like that's what Dave was fucking talking about okay that that, that, that makes sense okay there's there's the edginess and the competitiveness that you were talking about um, and Jay like you mentioned like I just remember he came he was running our development camp and uh, for Team Canada one year and just the high energy like. He just does not stop going. And you're mm -hmm. right. It's just pure positive. Like body language mm -hmm. is always through the roof. So mm -hmm. yeah, no, you brought you bring up some some really good points there. Um, you know, let's talk about the men's uh the men's basketball team this year, the men's national team. I mean, uh unfortunately, you know, they, they failed to qualify for the Olympics. And I really just want to kind of get your take on that. What do you think they need to change, if anything, to to make sure that they're in, in that slot for two, 2024? 
Yeah. Well, I think one thing we all have to realize is that it's, it's really hard to qualify for the Olympics. Like, right. <laughs> like no matter how many NBA players you have, it's still difficult to qualify for the Olympics. Like it's, there's less teams in the Olympics than there are in the world cup. Right. Right. Like it's a, it's a more in, exclusive event. Um, so there has to be like a plan in place. And I think for one thing is one thing I think the U S has done a really good job of, and hopefully, you know, we've done it a bit and hopefully we can expand on it is just having a bigger pool. Yes. And so, so we, you know, our training camps and that, that requires one thing that requires commitment from the players and money. Right. So let's, let's have a big pool of the, you know, everybody that's in the NBA, everybody that's in a high level in Europe, they're at every camp every summer. Right. And if it's, if it's the contract players who need, you know, they can't play because they can't get insurance and, or they're a little banged up even and they can't play. Let's have a commitment from old guys that still come in for a day or two at camp and still see everybody and still watch what the team's doing and, and kind of build that camaraderie amongst them. And I think that's a, that's a major thing. Cause if you look at it, like if you're looking on the outside, you're like, how do we not qualify? We have NBA players. We have one of the best coaches in it, coaching staffs in the NBA. Like how did we host it? Like, how do we not get there? Well, that's a huge part of it is just that, that, that ability for a group to come together so quickly without playing together before it's really hard to do. So yeah. I think the way you build on it is like you have that big pool and, and, and guys commit to like coming in every year, whether you're going to play or not, you're going to come in for whatever the time commitment is, whatever you want to make it three days, four days, five a week. Like you come in and, and you see the guys and you talk to the guys. And so you build some of that camaraderie and then, you really kind of learn how each other's each other's playing too, and I think once you can get that, then you know you'll see us qualify every year for things, mm-hmm. right? Or have a better chance to qualify because because you know we're really building a good team of of guys that like each other and want to play for each other and want to play for their country. You bring up a good point. I think that continuity is is, is missed, right? Because it's mm-hmm. a different group, and usually, yeah, sure, players will get switched up, but the core guys are generally the ones that are intact for most mm. countries. Right. So, I mean, with us, it's usually LeBron and KD and, and, you know, you could throw whoever else you want in there, but um, yeah, I, you, I, I, I totally agree, Sean. I, I, and it'll be interesting to see just coming years. I mean, obviously they, they were missing Kelly Olenek and they were missing Jamal Murray. Um, I think there were a couple of contract issues uh, with, mm. uh, was it Kim Birch? I think it was. So um, those things didn't help, but, definitely do you think they're on the upswing do you think they're we're very close i i think we are like I, kelly Olenek was at camp right he didn't play right. but he was right. he was in camp he was he right. was working out with the guys he was doing stuff um I, I think the younger group still want to buy into like i think they want to be like two years ago jamal murray was in camp even though he didn't play like the world cup year um shay's been around alexander he's been around like mm-hmm. so those guys have been around in camp a little bit the last little like the last year and a half maybe um I think it's I think they're starting to believe buy into it more, right? They right. want it, they want to do it. And I I really I have a difficult time relating to them as much as I played on the national team and played Olympics. I was I was playing because I loved to play for my country and I, I I cared about my contract during the year, but I cared more, I would say, about playing for my national team in the summer. But right. I also wasn't dealing in 20 million a year, 30 million a year contract, <laughs> right? Like that changes your mindset a little bit, right? So it's like it does. I can relate mm-hmm. to them, but but not there's that little bit that doesn't relate to them we're like of course i'm playing in the summer why wouldn't i i don't care if i don't right have contracts. right okay whatever so it, it you know it changes a little bit but I, I i i really think that upswing is coming like it's a slow build obviously but i i think the fact that they had so many guys come out this year still was good like that we didn't qualify it's it's, it's 
terrible, right? It sucks. It's the right. worst, but right. we still had some high level guys that came out and, and, and tried to represent and tried to do some, some things. So, you know, I see moving forward, I see that those things in place where we're going to try to have like 36 guys and don't, and don't like, don't get it wrong either. Like the U S invites a lot of guys and they cut guys like they're cutting mm-hmm. st- starters in the NBA and they have creative ways of making it look like they didn't get cut. Right. Like, right. Uh, they had a family issue or, you know, there was an injury or, you know, he's not sure they'll, they'll cut guys. So there is an ego aspect to it. Are you able to put your ego aside and come to camp? And, you know, they're taking, they're taking Aaron Doran camp from, from Canary Islands to play instead of so and so from the NBA. Like, are right. you are you really to put your ego aside and believe in Nick Nurse and his staff that they're going to select the best twelve players to try and qualify for an Olympic Games? No, so yeah, I think up, that's an important thing. Absolutely, you bring up some good points there. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the Olympics and your experience going. I mean, in two thousand, that was that was a pretty fun run. I was watching it very closely. Uh, your boy Steve Nash was leading the charge. What, what was that experience like in that village, opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies? Obviously not the result you guys were hoping for, um, knowing how competitive you are, knowing how competitive Steve Nash is and those guys. Um, what was that like? It was amazing. Like I still, when I talk about it now, I still am getting chills. I'm right. getting chills. Like I could still feel it like it's right there. Like just walking into the stadium, there's like 100,000 people there. And you're, you're like, it's just like, a, it's hard to explain, but it's just like, it's an amazing feeling and you're with other athletes and you're just like, look at these people. This is the best place you could be right now. Like, it's just so amazing. Such a great feeling. Um, and then that run that, that we made, it was just, man, we were so focused. It was like, it was, it was something special. Like we were in the village and, and the village is a crazy place. Like there is distractions all over the place to, to really kind of not on purpose, but just to draw you away from your event and what you're there for. So our group just had made a great effort of this. You know what? We stick together. We're going to do this. We're going to play together. We're going to talk together. We're going to hang out together. We're going to go eat together. We're doing everything together. And we're like, we're not letting anybody go and wander off and do their own thing and go visit anywhere else. So we, we really stuck together. And, and I was a tribute to kind of Jay and his staff of just like, guys, you want to do this? Okay, let's do this this way. This is mm-hmm. how we're going to do it. And, and, and just the plan he put in place is like, we just went like game after game after game. It was like, we didn't look ahead. You know, we didn't look at behind it. What we did was just like, okay, who's up next? Let's play. And, and I think that was that was the amazing experience about that whole thing is that we really were just so dialed into it. We were dialed into each other and just trying to do the best we can. We we didn't really let any other outside you know distractions kind of kind of get us. And and yeah, we didn't get the outcome we wanted. And that's the source. You know, I've watched that game so many times. And man, I I think I played like forty five seconds and. I remember at the time and then even watching the game, I was like, that was too long. Like I shouldn't even <laughs> been on <laughs> I shouldn't even been on the court, man. That was terrible. But it was it was just Jay trying to throw anything out there. Like, all right, let's see if Sean can give us something. No, he can't. All right, get him on. <laughs> but, but those were just, probably the hardest forty five seconds you've ever oh, played in your life. <laughs> oh, it was the worst. It was so bad. And then Steve, I just felt bad for Steve because man, he yeah. right, he carried us to the Olympics. He was carrying us through those games and and they just beat him up and we just we just couldn't help him like we just couldn't help him and it just it was just uh very disappointing in that but you know after that you're just so happy like it was a monumental experience for all of us that like it's it's something we still cherish uh till this day honestly from the outside looking in you could see how close you guys were like you guys mm-hmm. were a close-knit group uh hamilton barrett nash you, yourself um i'm forgetting a bunch of people obviously but um you guys were just so you could just see it like on the bench. You could see it like, you know, uh, those clips that we'd see, like, you know, from training camp or exhibition games, like mm-hmm. it was unreal to see that. And I'm wondering if that's just like 
there was no egos because I think the majority of everybody played overseas and then you mm -hmm. had Steve Nash, right? Do you think mm -hmm. that was probably the case? It was just like, guys, like our egos, like we're, we are like, you know, we're, we're not making millions in the NBA other than Steve Nash. Mm -hmm. We're mm -hmm. like, we're just, we're, let's come together. Let's just do this together. Do yeah. you think that was a big part of it? Yeah, that was a huge part of it, right? So Steve was the only one, the NBA, wasn't the only one, uh, Todd McCullough was to a seven foot. Yes, yes, that's but, right. But but the, the ego point is the biggest thing. Like there was, there was no, like, we knew who the best player was. Right. We knew who the best scorers were. We knew who the best rebounders were. We knew who the best defenders were. Like as a group, we all knew what we could do or what the, our teammates could do. And I think on top of that is the fact we had played together a lot. Like that team, we didn't play a ton of games that year or the year before, but throughout like provincial team or junior national team or club teams, we'd all kind of played with sprinkled out or, or FISU games, university teams. There was always a connection we'd have with each other, with every single guy in the team, right? Like, so there was a bunch of guys from out West. It was Peter Gracchi, Andrew Mavis, yes. David Daniels, Todd McCullough, Eric Heinrichson, right? Greg Newton was, was, was from Niagara Falls, right? Michael Meeks, Sherman, all those guys, Greg Francis. We all played together at some point. So there was already that comfortability with each other. And, and we just kind of really liked hanging around with each other. Like mm -hmm. we all had our little niche groups in there. We played spades like crazy. Like some guys played the guitar, they hung out, but we all kind of like, we knew each other, played with each other and we had no egos. It was like, we didn't care who was the best scorer. We knew it was probably going to be Steve. <laughs> it was going to be Steve, Meeks, Rowan, Sherm. Like, right, right. And they didn't care who of, who of them was going to score. It was like, are we winning? Is Canada going to win the game? Right. Like, all right, is this guy going to be able to lock him down? No, okay, let's put so and so in to lock him down. Like, it was really like you you hit it on the head there. Like, there is no ego there. It was like Jay, you know, that starts again with Jay at the top. Like, Jay doesn't have an ego at all. Like, he's just he was just coaching. He's happy to be there. Like, he mm -hmm. brings that positive energy. Let's go, and and everyone's ready to do it, right? And you look at Steve, and man, he's he was one of the, if not the, uh, like least amount of ego player in the NBA, especially specifically two time MVP. Like. Like nothing at all there. So like he he just if he's not gonna have an ego, then how can I have an ego when I'm like the twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth man on the team? <laughs> so it's it really sets the tone when your leaders are gonna gonna play like that as well. Let's talk about Steve a little bit because honestly, like I hear former NBA players and analysts talk about how uh, you know they're just really not giving him the respect sometimes that he deserves. You know they're saying that he shouldn't have won it, those MVPs, and mm -hmm. you know he's just a little guy out there, and the system made him as good as he was like you played with him you're, you're good friends with him like what's your thoughts on that i would say i think that happens every year right whoever wins right. the mvp there's always people arguing who should have got it who shouldn't have got it um right. not, it's not respect like i think i think five ten years from now we're going to hear the same thing about james harden like he didn't get the respect like he doesn't get the respect he deserves now like for what he did not in brooklyn necessarily or actually how he adapted his game in brooklyn i would say he doesn't get respect for but the years he was putting it in Houston, like people were like, whatever, he's allowed to do it. And right. I mean, it's same, it's the same coach as Steve had, but still that respect kind of isn't there. So I, I hear that and it's not, that's not the case. Like he's, he's dictating the game, right? Like mm -hmm. you can have a style of play and it suits him. Okay. Well, kudos to the coach for setting in all right, a system of play that can allow a six, three guy from Canada to dominate the best basketball league in the world. Right. Like, like, so it's just the system? Like, no, it can't. There has to be something where, where it's Something's the player, gotta right? So, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not just that. Like, he, no, he's 
man, the stuff he does is ridiculous. If you watch tapes over, like we last during COVID, we were, I had a great idea from, from, I stole from a, from a coach of mine who was doing, uh, having his teams do uh, scouting reports of, of old games. So we did a scouting report of, uh, uh, of the Phoenix Suns against New Jersey Nets, Steve against Jason Kidd. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was a crazy game. Like both point guards were unbelievable, but in their own way. And it was just unbelievable to, to, to kind of see how they, those two players could dictate every possession for, for, for the team. And it's like, I think people, it's, the NBA guys make it look so easy, but they right. don't realize how fatiguing it is. So you can say it's a system with Steve, but to have your ball in the your hands, making every play almost for like whatever minutes he's on the floor, like, that is crazy. Like that is off the charts. Like just that alone should get you up. Like that's a, that's something that I don't think regular people and even some NBA players, even if they're not going to was like, no, you're not a point guard. Then you're not, you're not using right. five ball screens on a possession to try and get a good shot. <laughs> off. Like I don't care if you got a guy who can dunk and a guy who can shoot, you still got to get them the ball in the right spot. So yeah, I'm definitely against the, all that uh, naysaying. Yeah, I agree that his conditioning is just, you pointed, you, you touched on that. Like to be able to run, for that long, that fast, all the time, and handle the ball. Like, it's insane. It's insane yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. we used to do the beep test, right? Like, you know, the, the yeah. old school beep test, right? Like, so right. We, we, the national team would do it kind of as, as a first thing at camp just to see the conditioning of everybody. And I had always kind of been almost the best. I think here, Brad Hand and Norm Hand would beat me at Laurentian if we did it. But, man, I was pretty close to one of the best conditioned guys ever. I would go into the national team and, I would get as far as I could. And like Steve would, he wasn't even breaking a sweat yet. And <laughs> he, he was the last guy running. He would just do one more down and back. And they would be like, no, t- shut it off, Steve. We don't need to see how far you can go. <laughs> like, <laughs> he just kept going. Down. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, he's, he's not even, not even breaking a sweat. It's crazy. He came like to our develop, our, no, sorry, all Canada camp. And he was just there as a guest speaker, but he, obviously, you know, Steve better than I was. He was obviously there. He's like, I got my shoes, got my gear. I'm going to get a workout in, get some, mm-hmm. some, some shots up. And then he was just like jumping ahead of kids in drills with us. Like he was just like nonstop, nonstop. And I'm just like, holy geez. Like he just, he, it's in, it's insane. And like his body language, constantly positive. You see him giving fives all the time. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter the outcome. Turn over the ball six times in a row. He's giving fives to everybody, right? So mm-hmm. definitely very, very, very cool to see um switching gears a little bit did you want have you seen the documentary malice at the palace have you seen it yet no i haven't seen it yet i've just <laughs> i've just heard everything about it okay I, okay I mean, well, i've watched lots of things on it but i haven't seen that one you haven't seen that one it's very good definitely recommend uh, a must see for sure um have you have you ever been in a crazy brawl uh overseas national team anything like that anything come to mind is that a setup or <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'll be honest it, with you. Like, I was, like, I, what, like one, two, or three? Like, <laughs> what do you mean? I'll be honest with you. I was trying to find a specific one with the national team, and I and I couldn't find it anywhere, anywhere. Yeah, so that one specifically. Have, and, well, inter- internationally, there's it. It happens a lot more. Right. Like, it, right. Ju- it just does. I mean, it just does. So, so there's a, there's a couple for sure. I mean, the the biggest one is is Australia. Like, so the it was the year, yeah. The, so the year before, so 1999, the qualifying year, we went to Australia for uh, two games against New Zealand, and and then five games or four games against Australia um, in June, and then the qualifier was in July. 
So, but we went there without Steve. Steve was the only guy we didn't bring. We went, we right. went with other guys, a bunch of other guys actually that weren't on the team too. Um, so we went there and we're playing when you're playing team that many times in a row, like it's just, it's bound to happen, right? Like it's just, there's bound to be something. So we played New Zealand two games. They're pretty rough, but nothing really came of it. And then we played Australia the first game and they were kind of, they were inviting us in to like, just kind of beat us down. Right. Like this is our, their, their year before let's Canada might right. be at the Olympics. We don't know. We're going to beat them down a few games. So first game was like nothing crazy, but like you could see the intensity getting a little bit higher. Um, and then the second game, uh, Second game, I remember he was getting a little bit more physical, and you know, you know Richie Anderson. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so Richie just Richie doesn't have like a he doesn't have a mean bone in his body. Like he's just a big guy, like happy go lucky, plays tough, plays physical, but he's not trying to hurt anybody. Like so, he's just being physical, physical, and one of the Australian guys got so mad and just turned and clocked him right in the face, like hard. Oh boy, but Richie. He didn't do anything to him. He just like right. didn't even knock. Didn't even, <laughs> the other guy, the other guy was six nine as well. So the other guy was huge. Right. So he didn't right. even budge. So then there's a little melee, but nothing crazy. Play the next game, right? So now it's building up again. We play the next game, and almost like one of the first plays of the game, I see our point guard come down off a down screen. And he just like trying to get the guy off him to use the screen, and he gets him good in the stomach. Yeah. Down to the ground, comes off the down screen, hits the three. Right. So almost even more because he got him hard. Right. Game goes on. But I kind of remember that play in my head. I'm like, hey, I got, I'm going to go behind our point guard. Right. In the handshake. It's, they, they, it was a bad play. They're going to be mad at him. Right. So sure enough, their point guard starts to jaw with him and okay. in the handshake. And I go to like push everybody away. Like, guys, relax. Boom. I get clocked. Uh. Not, knocked out cold. <laughs> knocked out cold. So I, oh I, my I, god! I, I wake up and our our trainer Glenn Parsons is like, "Hey, like he's clapped his hands." <laughs> John, wake up! So it was like out completely out cold. And then so they bring me to the locker room and like it was when that happened it was like it was like a brawl. So right, this game right. was over and like Rowan Rowan's like like they're chasing Rowan. He's trying to throw punch. Everyone's trying to like gather and was like police are trying to get everyone out of the way. Security like like ridiculousness. So. <laughs> That was like it, it was crazy. Like it was it was wild. So that, and then we stopped to play them two more games. Oh my god! And we have to travel like to the next hotel, right? The same hotel. Oh. And it was like so. After that, we're like it kind of toned down after that because that was kind of ugly, an ugly right. scene. Um, Probably scary. Remember, yeah, yeah. And I remember going in, into the next hotel, and I ran into one of their guys on the lobby. Is huge. Like he was their biggest guy. This guy, and he's like, you know, he, he kind of felt bad. It wasn't him, but he's like, listen. He the guy punched the wrong guy because I guess somebody else on our team uh, I'd smacked the guy in the head from behind when they started to argue <laughs> and he turned around and I was the first guy there. <laughs> so, so this this, this guy is like six seven muscle bound. He's like, hey, whatever it's worth, he punched the wrong guy. You know, you're. I hope you're all right. Like, yeah, yeah I'm fine. <laughs> but yeah, that was like mayhem. It, but it actually helped me. Like, it really yeah. helped me because then I played a little bit more the next game and then I started the last game of the tournament. And I, we beat them the last game, played nice. well. And it kind of like, like that trip kind of cemented like my place on the team with Jay. Jay was like, right. this guy, like I, I played, I think I played 30 seconds the first game against New Zealand. And then the seventh game of the trip, we won against Australia and I played 30 minutes or something and almost had a triple double. And he right. was just like, okay, he's, I don't know what he's, he might be the 12th man. I, he might never play, but 
he's can last this long and and still produce at the end of a long, you know, grueling kind of tournament, international tournament, then we got to have him on the roster. So yeah, that's, that's the one big story. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that was, there was so much into it, right? You see, you hear, or you see like a fight and you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, you know, Sean just got the shit kicked out of him. So, uh, but then there was like that buildup. I hope they don't do that anymore because that's just asking for trouble. Like seriously. Well, now they put more suspensions in. So that's what they always kind of look at. How many games are you suspended when it happens? Um, Right. Like we did, we did the same thing with Brazil the next year. We got in a brawl in Brazil with Brazil in Canada. I took a chair in the head in Montreal. (laughs) I didn't get, that's the one, that's the one I remember. That's the one I remember. I was at that game. We, we, we came up for that game. Our provincial team went up for that game. That's right. That was, yeah, I was protecting like there. I was, they were trying to go at Greg Newton there and trying to hurt him. So I just grabbed their guy and then I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? Like, well, he's too big. I got to maybe throw him down. So I threw him <laughs> down, but it was right by their bench. So their bench is like, boom, right away. Getting yes. the chairs. And I remember, I remember people grabbing chairs and yeah. stuff. Yes. Yes. I was I driving. Uh, we had a couple days off after that. So I was driving home with my wife from, from Montreal to Ottawa for a couple of days of relaxation before we left for the, for Olympics basically. And we're, we're driving. I'm like, I told her, I was like, man, my head is like, there's a huge <laughs> welt like there. And that she goes, you took a chair in the head. <laughs> it should feel bad. <laughs> oh my God. Like I can't imagine, like, honestly, like you've played way more basketball than me, but I played quite a bit of basketball and I've never been involved in any type of brawl, like high school, university, college, like nothing. So mm. I've been very lucky, but like, I can't imagine like trying to have your head on a swivel and possibly like fighting with the guy in front of you like it must like there must yeah. just be so many things coming from different angles yeah. right man, oh my man. god oh boy wow um so yeah next question is um i don't know if you heard but katie and and uh kevin durant and draymond green recently sat down and uh did like a, a an interview and just talking about you know what happened with the split up and, and whatnot mm-hmm. and they were both blaming kerr and bob myers for for KD leaving Golden State, the way it was handled. Uh, basically, what they did was they suspended Draymond uh, for, you know, for detrimental to the team um, and didn't really ad- let them address it or didn't have them address it. And they were really pointing the fingers at management, at the coaching. And I just wanted to hear from you, like, how would you handle that as a head coach? What would you do to, to make sure that that got that got resolved? Again, man, it's tough. I'm not in their situation and right, dealing with, right. with their social media, their like who's in their ear, who's in their camp, what's being said about them. But from a strictly coaching a team perspective, I would hope that you could have them sit down. Mm-hmm. Right. And like so when 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 they're addressing the media, it's like almost you'd want to talk about it before and be like, Okay, guys, like Katie's gonna say this throughout the year about his contract stuff. Are we okay with that? Right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's why Draymond was kind of, I guess, a little bit perturbed with it, right? Because like, right. if KD's not addressing it, then they're asking every other player on the team about it. And you get tired of it. I mean, the, the, the amount of media stuff that these guys are doing, like, every every day they're doing media stuff and being peppered with questions about other guys. Like, I don't know. Go ask him. He's not telling You're me. Right. Okay, well, then that's the answer, right? But... <laughs> But then, then at some point, maybe you he fouled you in practice, and you're a little mad, and then you're like, "Hey, he's an ass. I don't want him on the team anymore." Like, <laughs> it's from a coach and management's perspective, it's tough. I think you got to try and 
bring them together, right? And mm-hmm. have some sort of forum, some open forum where you can discuss it and say, you know, what's the best thing for everybody moving forward here? Like, you know, what, what do we think we can say to, to kind of mend, right, mend the fence here and, and see what we can do? But it seemed like, I don't know if they're just going with a little bit of revisionist history, right? And saying, yeah, it was their fault. That now, now that right. they look back on it, they, they blame them. Well, yeah, maybe they were afraid to bring more emotion to it. Right. They, they didn't want to tell you guys what to say or they didn't right. know how to handle it. I mean, there's sort of I've only coached. Well, I've coached 14, 15 years here now. But and I go back and there's all kinds of things I would change about what I would do. So I'm sure I'm sure Curran and Myers are like, man, we, we probably could have handled that differently. And right. but knowing the personalities, maybe they just didn't think, you know, Green, Draymond and, and, uh, and Katie would be able to change, I guess, right. is what, what the problem is. Right. Like it's hard to it's hard. It's hard to do as a coach. I mean, I, I always just try and say that it's you can trust me and it is really hard to make sure so-and-so can trust so-and-so like, yeah you can trust yeah. me and he can trust me but can you two trust each other like right it, you're trying to you're trying to kind of build that but like i said when you're dealing with man hundred million dollar contracts and, <laughs> and and media all the time and it was like the coach i'm not listening to you man this season man he can tell me my, he can tell me himself was right and, and sometimes they we don't like we just ignore it forget it i don't want to deal with this today like it's a it's a tough situation i feel bad for those guys that they were brought into it at the very start of that like i thought katie was trying to handle it professionally when it was going on at golden right. state and dream Draymond's emotional so mm-hmm. like you you know that it's good I, I like both of them really good they're both great players and great people and it's just as a coach in the gm it's like how do you how do you handle that like it's tough it's tough to do yeah. for sure yeah it's a uh, tough spot for sure it's crazy to think like like that they just wouldn't sit it down as two adults and just figure mm. it out themselves. You know, I, and I feel, I, I don't know. It's just odd that they're pointing the finger at other people when they're in the same locker room, Yeah, they take the same plane, same bus, like, like figure it out. It's, guys. I don't understand. It, 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 yeah. It's, it's really hard, right? You don't want to, like they probably don't want it. Right. You don't want to address right. it. Right. You don't want to talk to each other. So the coaches kind of have to try and force it without forcing it. Like, how can we just sit down and talk about it? Like, guys, we got to talk this out. Like, what are we doing? Right, like, right. But it, but they're not going to do it. Like, I played overseas with guys that I, I've seen don't like each other. And right. like, they're not going to like each other. They're never going to like each other. And like, hey, is it <laughs> worth it to, like, they they don't play well together because they don't like each other. Like, some guys right. can turn it on and off, right? They can be like, okay, I don't like you, but I can still play with you. And I respect right. you as a basketball player and I want to win. So I'm going to use you on the court and you can use me. And then off, off the court, I'm like, this guy's, I don't like him. Like right. that kind of stuff can really happen. I've seen it happen a ton, but I, most of the time it's the other way. If I don't like you, I can't play with you. Like that's what I saw overseas most of the time. Right. Right. Are you, are you, are you happy social media? It what not as prominent as when you played. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for, for a lot, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. Yeah, man, it would, it would be the worst. I, like to have access to that all the time. I mean, we try and tell, I used to try and tell our players before it was big. It was like, don't read your newspaper clippings, regardless of how you played. Cause you, you, you know, you never played as bad as you thought you did. And you never played as good as you thought you did. If right. you watch the video. So it's like, if you're reading a paper when you play great, it's going right to your ego and you feel good. And then yeah. the days you play terrible, you're man, what am I doing playing basketball? Like it just, it just brings you through those highs and lows. So social media just like explodes with that. If you're reading all the comments or, you know, you're looking at who are, who's posting your mentions and stuff like that can, that can drive you wild, let alone just taking pictures of you. Like, like we didn't have social media when I was playing overseas. Like, I think I just signed up for it when I left. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> but you're in you're in the you're in the public and they're coming up to you like fans are coming up to you like it's it's tuesday we play on saturdays like you guys need this win we got to get this win we got to stay above relegation or right. we need this win to make the playoffs like like i remember in italy i was uh the night before a game i was in an internet cafe at seven o'clock at night the, the night before a game internet cafe not even like a pub a bar <laughs> like nothing just an internet cafe and an old italian guy was talking to the the uh the barista and he's like what's he doing in here he's got a game tomorrow so he's like kind of like give me a dirty look and like pointing at me a little bit and i go over after to pay and the guy's I was like what's what's the guy's problem he's like wow he's just he's he's upset that you're in the cafe when you have a game tomorrow it's like it's seven o'clock at night man yeah i'm yeah. having a coffee and <laughs> before i go back to the room i don't even play that much man <laughs> that's incredible yeah, oh, so I, can't, I, can't, I can't imagine these guys. Oh my God. That's a diehard fan there. Just get yeah. your rest. Make sure you play well tomorrow. That's hilarious. Um, you know, I got, I got one more question for you before I let you go, Sean. Um, sure. <laughs> this is not my question. This is my, my co-host question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. I think I know the answer, but you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Um, how could Canada ever be able to beat the United States in basketball? Well, it's not ever. It's not that. It's not that far off. Like everybody thinks, it's never going to happen. It can happen. The international rules actually help us. That's to make true. It happen. That right? is like, true. It, it actually helps you. Like I, I think if you notice, the U.S. team this year did a great job of not getting nervous and anxious about losing early on because they right. were just trying to adjust to the game. Because because in the NBA game, there's 48 minutes, eh? And it's like that's a, that's a big eight eight minutes. You don't think it's a lot, but it's a lot. That's right. Sometimes lot. in NBA game, you can lot. see guys are just getting their shots and they're going to get hot at some point during the game and then you're done. Right. Whereas right. in this international play, it's like specifically for the time, it's like it's you, if you miss, you, you might, you know, you might shoot yourself out of a game. And then the other part is the physicality part, right? They, they like, I would say like uh, another reason of why I could make and play at the next level is that I was physical mm -hmm. as a defender. So right. I could, I could beat a guy up to not get his position on me driving. Or, or try and like drive by me. I could ride him out or I can deny him physically, hold him a little bit or tag him off a downstream chasing. I can like push him off and NBA, they don't allow that. Like you're driving and you touch anybody and it's a foul. It's Whereas foul. the international, yeah. yeah, the international play will allow you to do it. So far, if, if our NBA players or international players are playing, can use that a little bit more and adjust for, then we can kind of bring it down a little bit more and bring that gap a lot closer. Like it, it's ridiculous how, like, so I, from internationally, the, the toughest guy I had to cover was Allen Iverson for sure. Just right. He's so fast. I couldn't get him to hold on to him. But, but I covered, like I covered five guys. Like I covered Vladi Divac, who's like what, right. seven, three. Right. Like I had to cover the one summer I covered, I played four, basically the four five. So they're huge guys. Well, I can't do that if I'm not allowed to beat them up. Like <laughs> if I'm not allowed to be physical or like, like clutch and grab them at all. Like, right. So right. The, the international rules actually allow for teams to kind of, you know, dumb physical physical the game a little bit more than than the free riding that you can do in the nba and so that's why i would say like we have a chance we can kind of instill that and, and nick nurse has coached internationally a lot so you know if we can get that into our players and and really mm -hmm. instill that a lot then then you can really uh you know narrow that gap they were we weren't that far off we weren't that far off this year that that's is very true yeah it's it sucks that we didn't make we didn't make it but like you we could have made it and got a medal like that's right. like it's not like okay we would have made it and we would have finished twelfth. So like True. no, if we if we made it like we could have finished one happen. two three like 
Yeah, yeah. it's true. Like it's, it's very it, true. It really, it really is like that. Like if you look at at France, like they're not a great team, but they've played together for a long time. Right? Yes, you have some yeah. NBA players that are role players in the NBA, right? And they're they're physical. They know how to play the game. Like so, like that's not that far off from from what our guys can do. We're definitely one of the probably the second most skilled team internationally in the world. So we just gotta you know kind of stay that course with our with our guys coming in, like we talked at the start. And they just build in that physicality that I think uh, needs to be there. Yeah, I, I guess I was thinking like that question isn't really fair right now, just because, like you said, yeah, they weren't that far off from making it. Um, I'm just kind of looking at, you know, where where obviously the states finished, but they, I mean, they also lost a few games to teams that I think Canada are better than 100. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Canada's probably missing that like that one guy that can just take over a game, possibly, right? But I mean. You look one through twelve. They, you're right. You're one hundred percent. I'm bang. Like they got a star-studded lineup, and again, they were missing guys due to injury. So mm-hmm. I think it'll be mm-hmm. really interesting once they have everybody there, everyone back. Yeah. You know, a few years playing together, and and anything can happen. Absolutely. Like you, you take injuries. Like look at look at if this roster had Jamal Murray on it. Right. Like, are we not a threat to beat them? Like, right. Yeah. For sure. Like, absolutely. J- just add him. Add him and, and Kelly Olynyk. Are we not a threat to beat them? Like that playing right. two man game. Like that's not talking about Shea. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not adding sure. in Shea. Yeah. Right? That's give, true. Give, give RJ a couple more years to develop because he's a physical guy. Like, like we're, we're like it really is. The injuries came at a bad time for definitely for Jamal Murray. Obviously for Denver, it killed them because they man, they, yeah. they had some great aspirations. But you add in Jamal Murray at the international level, whew, you're in trouble. Like yeah. he can take he can take over a game. He took over the, the bubble in the NBA. Like, he, and they're he, very he, deep at guard. Very very yeah. deep at guard with yeah. him, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and then who's the kid from uh, Pelicans that played? Um, Mikhail. Mikhail, yeah. Like you know, you have him. He was playing more of a bigger role, like you said, because mm-hmm. of injuries, and mm-hmm. have him coming off the bench. Like Jesus, like yeah. that's a team to reckon with. So, mm-hmm. before I let you go, predictions for. For 2024, where, where do you see Canada basketball ending up? And do they make it? And we're, what do they medal? We're, we're meddling. Nice. Yeah, nice. We're meddling. I yeah. like it. I like it. I, I, I think so. Yeah. I love it. But again, I love like, it. I'm a loyal, passionate Canadian basketball guy. I think we're qualifying and meddling every year. <laughs> I, I honestly... I thought we were meddling. I thought we were going to make Olympics and medal this year. And, and some people yeah. thought I was crazy. Um, but I mean, like you said, the talent is there. The continuity needs to get there. And I think we'll, we have a few years to do yeah. that. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. yeah. yeah let's, let's, well, let's hope we can revisit that and, and we can see that I, we called it out. <laughs> yes. Years before. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Sean, thank you so much, man. This was fun. Um, love to have you on again. Maybe bring one of your former coaches on with us. Uh, that would be fun. But uh, yeah, I wish you all the best this year. Hope everyone stays safe and uh, we'll touch base again soon. Thanks. You too. Appreciate okay. it. Okay. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Please uh, don't hesitate to check out our social media page at Unscripted PB on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, as always, uh, BJ signing off and always remember that Black Lives Matter. Peace out. Peace out.